The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Aces Up the Sleeve podcast are solely those of the individual guests or hosts and do not necessarily represent those of Pocket Aces Racing LLC or Lilium Garland Media nor any other mentioned parties. Opinions expressed are not necessarily endorsed by the hosts, Pocket Aces Racing LLC or Lilium Garland Media. The Aces Up the Sleeve podcast is provided for private entertainment purposes only. Aces Up the Sleeve assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of the episode. While we do our due diligence to the best of our abilities, the information contained is provided with no guarantees of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. Any advice or opinions provided by or expressed by our guests are those of said guests and said guest alone. Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to Aces Up the Sleeve. I'm Patty, co-hosting with the co-managing partner of Pocket Aces Racing, or PAR for a quick reference, Jared Shoemaker. And today we're joined by a remarkable man, a very special partner for, for the Syndicate's history, Mr. Alan Burkhard. How are you both today? I'm fantastic. I'm very good. Thrilled to be a part of it. Um, we are thrilled to have you. Well, we're good. We're good to go. <laughs> well, in this podcast, we're going to shed light on all things Pocket Aces. We're going to talk about some of the finer points of syndicate ownership. We're going to discuss what our listeners, what our partners, what our fans have asked us to talk about. And hopefully by the end of it, you're a little enlightened, you're inspired, you are entertained. And for, especially for our partners, you feel like you are continuing to get good value for your tenure as a member of Team Pocket Aces Racing. So before we jump into our just really exciting episode, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. Um, we do have to talk about really quickly the canceled races last week. Sophisticated and Wendy Luhu work hard to go, but we had some massive rain go through the area and they just, it didn't you know, work out. It's, it, it's one of those deals where you got to be careful what you wish for, because all week long, Mark and I talked about how great would it be if it rained and the races came <laughs> off the turf for Wendy Luhu. Because, you know, she loves a sloppy track and sure. uh, you will get rid of some turf horses and, and man, she yeah. ought to be sitting pretty. And sure enough, what happens, uh, not only does it come off the turf, it just comes off everything. So yeah. that's a shame because it might have been down to three or four horses, you know, we, we had it really made. Yeah, I, I it could have been, uh, could have been nice, but you know what? Are they going to they gonna reschedule it as is? Uh, I, I, I we have I have not heard yet from Susan. I, I hope that by the time this comes out, uh, we will know what's going on. My guess is that probably schedule it for next Saturday. That that's my guess, okay. but uh, we'll see. So, gotcha. um, so yeah, that's uh, that's what we've got going on with our uh, with the the, the weekend racing. Um, and uh, you know, if you've been around Pocket Aces any length of time, if you've been a partner of ours for um, any any length of time whatsoever within the last year or so uh you have probably heard us mention the name alan burkhardt or you've seen it in the email um just uh 
for those that don't know, that aren't familiar, and even those that have seen the name but aren't real sure of the connection, Alan has been with Pocket Aces Racing since the very beginning. He, he was in on uh, Victory Morning. And when we first started this back in 2005 was when we bought her. And he's been with us ever since. And he has been an incredibly important part of everything we've done, as all of our partners are. Um, but, you know, Alan has uh, you know, had a longstanding relationship with Mark even before we started Pocket Aces Racing. And, and Alan has really served as, as a mentor uh, uh for us and we started this business we we spent a lot of we spent a long time on the phone together a lot of phone conversations about how things needed to be set up he gave us a lot of great advice uh over the uh, you know at, at when we first got going and then and in, in the years uh since then so um thought it would be great for the people that have seen his name heard his name over the years to get to be able to meet him and to find out a little bit more about him so alan thank you so much for uh, joining us today and thank you for everything that you've done for us from from the start uh, you like I said you've been here from the beginning and we, we wouldn't be here without you so thank you very much yeah you're too kind um horses did love of my life so I'm very satisfied with everything that's going on and like I said you're too kind no, just uh, not not too kind at all it's it's the it's the absolute truth but uh, let's let's get into this let's dig in let's find out Let's find out who Alan Burkhardt is and why okay. he's with Pocket Aces Racing. So, you know, uh, again, just if you if you don't care, give us a, a little you know, brief background of you know your your professional career, your business background. You, you've obviously had to run many successful businesses over the course of your life. Uh, just talk to us a little bit about uh, you know your your professional background to get us. Okay, um, I um, oh, let's see. Uh, as a youngster, my father died when I was 15, and my mother sort of stopped parenting, which lovely for me, because I was free as a bird and I could do whatever I wanted. So from <laughs> 15 to the time I met my wife, um, I think it it really created me. I made a lot of decisions of my own, some good, some not so good. Um, I went to college on my own. I did not finish um, I decided that the knowledge that I needed to develop did not have to come with a certificate because I was going to planning to own my own business in the near future. So you don't need that resume when you're the mirror completely. So um, I started my first business when I was 25. It was a staffing company, uh, permanent placement executive recruiting and temp. Back then, Temp was just starting. It was like first inning, and we saw that, and that's why we moved into it. Um, that was uh, when I was 25, and 28 years later, some big Dutch company came to me and offered me a lot of money. I had not thought of selling it, but in the end, to make this story short, um, we did sell it, um, and I was 56 at the time, I left my earnout with them, sold it when I was 53, worked three more years uh, with them, and then left actually the last day of the century. So I always know that day, January 1 of 2000, was when I was my first retirement. Um, I decided uh, at that time to move much more deeper into the racing business, but I'll back that up when you asked me the questions about the horses. 
Um, and then proceeded to start some other businesses. Uh, we got into a garbage company with a partner, which turned out to be a tremendous success. We sold it 10 years later in 2010. Uh, we started a payroll company. We grew it. We sold it for a very nice profit. I bought some restaurants and some real estate. We built uh, a couple of buildings in Newark, Delaware, college, uh, college dorm sort of. Um, so since I sold the first company, I've actually done more than than in the first company. I started maybe a dozen different companies and and sold most of them. Uh, my last one um, is the thoroughbred racing industry, which I've been in for a long time, but I intend to stay in it as long as I possibly can. It's the only business, uh, Jared, that I've ever been in that I love the product. And it's the only business <laughs> that I haven't been able to make money. <laughs> I've made money on all the others, which has allowed me to do this. Um, but knock on wood, good news. We made money last year, a significant amount, thanks to Temple City Terror. And uh, so that's my life business story. Um, I can jump all over the place if you want. If you well, really want. Let's, Go let's dig into, you, know, you mentioned, uh, you know, your love of horses and passion for horses. So let's talk about what, you know, where did that start and uh, you know, wh where did it get going? Where did it blossom? Uh, how did it grow? And then how did you get into ownership? So let, let's, let's a, take that journey. Yeah. It's a cool, funny story. Um, I, my dad bought a small 12 acre farm at and right across the street was a riding Academy. So I got to know them and I rode every day after school as a young teenager bareback and you know went on the trail rides with everybody so i fell in love with horses uh, because i saw them every single day right across the street and i did that for a couple years and then at about the age of 13 or 14 i went to delaware park on my own and i got a job hot walking and so my mother would get me up in the morning at three o'clock i'd get dressed i'd go to delaware park around four four thirty I'd walk horses after their workouts um, until school. Then I'd get to school. After school, I'd come back and walk the horses uh, after their races. So I got $2 uh, a walk in the morning and $4 a walk in the afternoon. I did that, I guess, age 13, 14, and 15. So I was surrounded by wonderful horses. Delaware Park that back then was like Saratoga is today. The, the trains brought people in from New York and New Jersey and Washington. And that place averaged on weekends about 30,000 people. Um, I had a chance to hot walk Kelso, five-time horse of the year, who was in the wow. same barn as us. <laughs> so um, that was pretty exciting. Um, one day I was walking, one morning I was walking, and I come around the corner where the trainer's office is and he was standing there talking to a jockey and I'm walking by and with a horse and he said, did you hear that? And I looked at him, I said, no. He said, you sure you didn't hear that? I said, no, what, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> he says, you heard it. He said, all right, bet Tommy Lee in the double. Well, Tommy Lee was a jockey, I knew that. I was too young to bet, but I got somebody to bet $2 for me in the double. It paid 90 bucks. And here I am, a 14-year-old with 90 bucks. 
I can't even tell my mother because she didn't want me gambling, of course. <laughs> but I was so excited. I told her anyway. And guess what she said? Take it back. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm thinking me going back to the window saying, my mother won't let me keep this because I'm not supposed to gamble. Um, <laughs> naturally i did not take it back and but 90 bucks back then was a, oh, God, well, that's a small fortune yeah and and I, and I learned something about the horse racing industry how did they know <laughs> right how did they know tommy lee was going to win the double so it, of course it made me very curious a friend and i started doing uh what we call show parlays we didn't have any money back then so we did a lot of show parlays and i remember one story i can tell you we did 19 in a row. We hit 19 in a row. The bet was big. And uh, we said we should stop. And then we said, well, let's get to 20, and then we'll stop. And, of course, we lost the 20, lost it all. Um, kind of stupid to try to run it that long because it was in the thousands. Um, but we were smart. We bet just enough that um, we would get it all back. Uh, we wouldn't lose anything. So... Because we kept, you know, what we kept the earnings and then and then um, bet the last part of it. But that would have paid like 50 grand at age 15. So we came close. We came close. So I fell in love with horses from a gambling perspective, Jared. uh, I had an uncle that was a runner. You know what a runner is? He would run bets. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And all over Wilmington, Delaware to the track. His boss, other bosses. And he used to tell me stories of where he would decide not to bet. You know, maybe a long shot. And he'd pocket mm-hmm. the money. I said, did you ever mess it up? <laughs> he said, yeah. He said, one time I had 20 minutes to figure out how to get 1200 bucks. Oh. And the only, the only thing I could do was tell my boss the truth, that I didn't bet the long shot. And I worked it off. And he said, I worked it off for years, but I had to work it off. He didn't fire me, thank God. So... He was he was kind of a gambler. He, uh, he taught me poker. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the cool uncle. Um, and I liked racing. My father was the race car driver part-time. He he, he uh, worked for DuPont. They, they actually made cars back then. He would um, race them. He raced motorcycles at the Wilmington Speedway. Um, so he, and when he got older, in his late 40s, early 50s, he and I did go-kart racing all over the area. Um, So racing was kind of in my blood. Uh, You know, I like NASCAR back then. Anything that moved fast, I liked. You know, it could be somebody running a four-minute mile or it could be a a car, it could be a boat, anything, anything. It just just intrigued me. And, you know, I had Atlantic City, a couple not too far from where I live. Um, in my twenties, I started going to Vegas once a year and I went for four or five days every year for like 30 years all by myself, just blow it out of my system, you know, come back, go to work. Um, so gambling became a part of me. I had a bookie back then, you know, you weren't, couldn't leave, it's not legal like it is today. Um, and of course, um, uh, he was, uh, he was my connection to gambling, sports betting, and things like that. About 30 years ago, I stopped betting on all sports except for racing. I decided just to focus on handicapping mm-hmm. horses and, and betting on the horses and forget all the other stuff, which is impossible to win. Um, 
And that's my love anyway. I love handicapping, whether I bet or not. Lots of times I'll handicap a race, but I won't bet it necessarily. Um, so gambling and horse racing. I started in the standard bread industry. Um, it was less expensive. I could get in for, you know, a couple grand. Um, I, I wanted to do thoroughbred. It was more colorful, it was faster. But I started in standard bread. Won a couple races, but I, but I got an interesting story. Early on, I had a horse named Sunshine State. And I got a call one Sunday morning from the trainer who said he's got bad news. I need to come down. So I went down and standing in front of the vet and the trainer. I'm listening to them, not understanding a word they're saying, but listening to them tell me the horse will never race again. Bow tendon, something, something. The vet said, I know lots of people with farms and get them a good home. Don't worry about it. And I walked away and got my car without a horse. A year later, Stallion and I are down in Miami, um, Hollywood, at a conference. And we're riding by Pocono Downs. And my car won't stop. It'll turn into a racetrack wherever we go. <laughs> programmed. So Automatic. There's we, no getting around. It, it's automatic, <laughs> you know, no matter what. And so we pulled in, and we're standing there, and God darn it, the Sunshine State wasn't on the program. And when he came, and when the race came, it was him. Wow. And um, I learned a lot about, again, about the industry and how you have to be careful and how you can't trust anybody, and you have to know what you're doing. Um, and I didn't, and I took their word for it. So, you know, a week later when the trainer was back home, I went to see him. I told him what I knew, walked away, and that was that. Um, so I moved into the thoroughbred industry, and I started buying Patty Miller. He'd buy a couple horses for me. You know, Patty has been around a long time. My daughter actually uh, exercised horses for her okay. back then. Um, I decided in my 40s to go for it and I ended out with a stable of about 10 horses, 8 to 10 horses. Stable to Delaware Park, but they ran in Monmouth and New York and Maryland. Uh, my trainer yep. and we did okay. Uh, I didn't really trust him, uh, but we did okay. Uh, he was the 25% winner and so whatever he was doing, you know, we were, we were winning our share of races. We had a couple situations where he put expenses on the bill that he couldn't explain. I think he was clearly uh, putting a significant margin on the, the vet and the things that I didn't understand. And so I decided that, to get away from him, and I did. Um, and then 1999 or year 2000, when I sold my company placers um i decided i'm gonna i got money in my pocket it was burning a hole in it i was successful and i'm going to do what i always wanted to do which is own racehorses and i decided to jump in with a i i, I planned a budget of a certain amount of money from what i had what i had sold the company for and decided to go for it i bought my first entry was buying into a, a good horse and I bought into a horse named Slough Valley, 
in the year 2000. It was race three. It just won a mile 16th on the turf with 101 buyer and an allowance. He had broke his maiden, and then he just won the allowance. So I bought in for 20%, and boy, did that horse take us for a ride. Um, I remember him very well. Uh, he raced at uh, the Secretariat in um, um, Chicago. Um, he raced in Woodbine. He raced in New York and Florida and Kentucky. Uh, he raced two straight uh, sword dancers, finished second in both of them. Um, he raced in Japan, uh, where they paid ownership, trainer, groom, family, five-star hotel, airfare, the whole bit. But I had that back surgery just before, so I couldn't go. So my partner did the whole thing, the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. He did well out there, but um, he, he finished sixth, I think, out of 20 horses. But he beat all the other American horses, including a really good one named Danan, who at that time was the number one turf horse in the country. Um, but the Japanese horses were home, home field advantage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they won the race. Um, but it was the $6 million purse. Um, so he took, Sioux Valley took us everywhere. And at age seven, we transferred his trainership to Reed Baker and Woodbine. We thought yep. maybe the, maybe the competition's not as severe as Belmont. And Dan he didn't win the Connaught Cup and the King Edward, a grade three and a grade two in 30 day period. Uh, one was 200,000, one was 300,000. So at age seven, he wins two graded races. Um, we did retire him. He had a boat tendon. He, he was off a whole year once. It kind of came back. And we tried to put a stallion deal together, but I just didn't know enough. And my partner wasn't that motivated to make it happen. So it never happened. I know the Japanese were interested. I know South Africa was interested, but nobody in America. Turf distance was not popular 27 years ago, yeah. as you know. And, and older at, at, you know, on top of that, you know, he, oh. he got started a little bit later, you know. Yeah, he's eight years old. Nobody wanted that. Nobody wanted that. Yeah. So, um, but he made about 800,000, 850,000. And I, he took me everywhere. It was a wonderful experience. Um, I only owned 20% of them, but, you know, when they run around, as you know, in a syndicate, when you run around the track, it's yours. Um, then, I'm Mark, I met Mark because Mark was helping my partner. He was doing some work for his stable. And we kind of hit it off. Mark was a young man. I thought he didn't know much, except he knew a lot about horses. We didn't know much about business. And I thought, well, you know, I, I can mold <laughs> Nothing <him>. has changed. <laughs> no, nothing's changed. I, I thought I could mold him and teach him and train him. And I think he was honest, or at least I could make him honest. Um <laughs> no, nobody had really taught Mark anything except for the skill of the horses, which I bought because I thought that's he has a terrific ability in picking out horses. And we spent a lot of time talking about that before I went with him. So we cut a deal where he would manage all my business because I'm out here in the East Coast, you know, that was based in Kentucky. And I wanted to do breeding, Jared, and I wanted to do racing. And I wasn't sure which... I thought that racing would be more exciting. I thought breeding might be too slow, but I fell in love with breeding. It isn't slow. There's always something going on. And if you stagger it, you know, there's always something going on. 
And the idea was to, to breed and sell the babies. And I've had some really good years and I've had not so many good years. So it all depends on a lot of things. When, when you contract for a stallion, it's two and a half, three years before you're selling and you never know what that stallion's going to be doing. Mm-hmm. For example, I felt really strong about Henny Hughes. Um, and we jumped in to, to breed, but by the time we had a baby ready to sell, he was cold. So it just didn't work. Um, so Mark and I developed a relationship. We met you. Uh, I liked the concept of of syndicate. I loved the concept of syndicate. And I felt regardless of anything, if you guys had a had a good price, a fair price, perceived as value, and extreme level of customer focus and service, which you're doing, that you could be successful. And if Mark is the buyer, then add that to the mix. And I thought Pocket Ace has had a pretty good uh, opportunity, and, and, and that has happened. You, you could go over the, the numbers and the results yourself. The percentage of horses that are bought that went to the track is huge. The percentage that went to the track and won a race is huge. The ones that won another race is huge. Um, at the level we're buying, particularly, you know, we weren't buying $500,000 horses. We're buying twenty, ten, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 horses. I mean, look at Temple City Tear. I think we paid 22000 22000 That made almost 800000 on the track and sold for 600000 So... Uh, and by the way, I, I now agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> for all the you listeners, know, I, for all the listeners, I really didn't want to sell Temple City Terror. I tried to put a, a buy package together for the six hundred thousand dollar number, and I just couldn't put it together. I couldn't get a partner enough. I put I would have to put too much money in. So naturally, I let it happen. But in the end. One thing you learn in this business, if you get a good offer, sell. Because the next day, you never know what's going to happen. And it can happen. And it will happen. So yeah, okay, I, that, that's To this day, that is that well, that is the hardest thing we've ever, hardest decision we've ever had to make. And hardest thing we've ever had to do. And 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 we did it. You know, we know we pissed a lot of people off at the time. But I, I do feel, I do feel definitely that. Uh, you know, going looking back now and what has happened, you know, since then, uh, yeah, you know what? It was, it probably was the right way to go. So it meant to be. Yeah. I think it was a professional decision. You made a judgment based on what should be done. You took the emotion out of it. It was the right thing to do, Jared. I, I didn't say it at the time. I fought, you know, like a dog. I gave you a hard time, but. It was the right thing to do. I think. I think um, if there's anything I've learned in this business, uh, the number of times that, as owners, we've turned down offers. Um, you remember that one down in uh, Fairgrounds? Oh yeah, think, seeking an empire. Yeah, and what was it? Two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar offer. It was four hundred thousand, I believe. Yeah. Um, and it was it was in a you know it was in February of his three year old year, and yeah. he ran just a crazy number. Uh, and the buyer great race. Was, yeah, the buyer was picturing him winning the Belmont, and and yeah. so we 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 turned it down, and the horse never won another race. Yeah. So well, he he broke think- his he broke his maiden at Charlestown. 
Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, so we turned down a, a four hundred thousand dollar deal, and that isn't the only time I've done that in my life. So I have learned when you get an opportunity, you just have to take advantage of it. That's all there is to it. Uh, I'm a very sentimental person. I fall in love with my horses. My favorite horses that I've ever owned. And by the way, I bought into pretty much every horse Pocket Aces would have. My theory was I'll buy a minimal amount on all of them, 5% or 10% for me. And then I'd buy 20 to 50% if I really thought highly of the purchase. Um, sometimes I would buy one and partner with you guys. You'd be interested in yep. taking on a half. We've done that. We did that with 19th Street to success. Um, and 19th Street, I tried to sell as a weaning. I couldn't get a bid. I had no choice but to race her. Yeah. And by the reason I'm bringing her up, she's one of my top favorite three horses in my life. Uh, I bred her. Um, the broodmare was Miss Sabbatical. Miss Sabbatical. I bred her. Uh, couldn't sell her. Decided, all right, I'll race her. I'll never forget the day that uh steve called me and he said alan you got a horse here this this horse empties out and i said what's that mean he said that means when she comes down the lane she gives it her all and most horses don't do that they're very tentative he said she's going to win you some races and she won a quarter million bucks she won six races and stakes placed. stakes placed. i lost her in a stupid claim 62-5 late in the game um bought her back for 50 um but they put her in fall to lord nelson which is crazy um so we had to kind of finish that um and then and then the worst thing in my life happened in horse racing the, the highs and the lows this is the low she had her second baby uh Euro, that we chose and she was born premature and was sick in the hospital and really grave condition but the mom had to go in the hospital to feed her to feed her uh so he brought 19th street in and of course she got sick she foundered um and i was put in a position where i either had to save one or the other and i had to make the choice if i took the mom out right away she'd survive it if i left her in she would die and the baby would live so I tried both. I, I, I tried to leave the mom there a couple more days. Bottom line is she died uh, shortly after that, and the baby survived, came back. Now I decided this, I'm racing this one. Uh, it's the only way to keep the bloodlines going on that side of the family. Maybe she's got the heart that her mom had, and maybe she's got the speed that her dad had both the euro so she's in training right now she had a first breeze recently and uh we'll know we'll know in a few weeks what have we got i i saw her out that out silver springs the other day she looked great well um you know you never know obviously the odds are never with you but i'm happy i did it i'm going to race her no matter what and i'm going to breed her no matter what um so obviously i'm going to have a hard time with picking a trainer um i like this will I, I think maybe you got something here will walden uh, is a 
Uh, yes, absolutely. I, I'm, I've been really impressed with him. Uh, you had, yeah. a, had, a, had one little hiccup along the way, but we've got that all straightened out. And, um, and that's you know, an administrative thing, you know, he'll yeah. figure those out. And, and, and you know, yeah, it's growing pains. And, and you know, I, I've told, you know, some other people had asked about our decision to go with Will. And you know what, like, like all of us, he's made some mistakes in his life and uh, you can't, you can't just, you know, you can't hold it against someone forever. Everybody, we all make mistakes. And you're everybody so right. deserves a second shot, you know. And you're, you're and, so right. And, and you know, I think he's he's making the most of of the second chance that he's been given. And I've just been super impressed with him. And we, you know, it's going to get announced so by the time this airs. Uh, we will have announced this to the partners, but uh, he's going to get king of the party. Oh, beautiful! Hi, everybody. That is the end of part one of the Allen interview episode. As always, make sure you are subscribed to our Spotify, our Apple podcast. We have a few open source channels now available on our CastOS homepage. If you want to take a look over there to see what those are, make sure you are also subscribed to our YouTube channel. It's under the same name. It's under Pocket Aces Racing. We're going to have new projects, new features coming out soon. We're really excited. Um, we're going to have an intro video out for that recorded and done soon. So you guys will have an explanation of the different um, ideas that we've been cooking up for everybody so you can see a little preview as to what's about to go up on that YouTube channel so make sure you're over there make sure you've hit that bell uh, so that you get all those notifications when those videos do go live and you know as always uh, it's just me this time but as always have a happy Wednesday make good choices and the podcast she's out